My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Over 7.5 million people are stalked in one year in the U.S., according to the National Center for Victims of Crime, and 15% of women and 6% of men have reportedly experienced it. Wow. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so grateful to be here to explore this important topic with a wonderful expert. A 35-year veteran of the LAPD, Paul Bishop's career has included a 3 three-year tour with his department's anti-terrorist division, and over 25 years' experience in the investigation of sex crimes. His special assaults units regularly produce the highest number of detective-initiated arrests and highest crime clearance rates in the city. Twice honored as Detective of the Year, Paul has also received the Quality and Productivity Commission Award from the City of Los Angeles. As a nationally recognized interrogator, Paul starred as the lead interrogator and driving force behind the ABC TV reality show, Take the Money and Run, from producer Jerry Bruckheimer. Based on his expertise in deception detection, he currently conducts interrogation seminars for law enforcement, military, and arson investigators. He has published 15 novels, so awesome, including five in his LAPD homicide Detective Faye Croker series. He has also written numerous scripts for episodic TV and feature films. You can learn more about him at paulbishopbooks.com. Thank you for joining me, Paul. Thank you for your service. I'm honored to talk to you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So tell us how you became involved in professionally in the sex crimes department. Um, sex crimes was something that I had always been interested in because um, we always argue with the homicide detectives about who has the hardest job, sex crimes or, or homicide detectives. And we always say we do because their victims can't lie to them. Um, so not that our victims lie to us all the time. It's, it's a very serious uh, investigative discipline. And I think it's one of the hardest because of the emotional toll that it takes. So the people that are involved as sex crimes investigators are there because they want to be. It's a calling. It's not an assignment. Mm -hmm. um, if you are assigned to a sex crimes unit and you don't want to be there, you're not there very long. So the people that are like the people in my unit, the 30 detectives who worked for me, they were there long term and they were committed to these investigations, to these victims and to um, doing the best to make up in some fashion for the horrible things that have happened to them. Mm. We covered everything from indecent exposures through all kinds of child molests and, and all the way up to serial rapists and, and sexual homicide. Wow. Really, really incredible work that you've done. I am so curious about the definition of stalking because I think we tend to have this idea that it's pretty stereotypical. Like there's a man stalking a woman that perhaps it's you know, someone, a stranger who finds you in an alley and just starts watching you through windows. But I found this uh, quote, this general definition, a course of conduct directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear, which seemed really, really broad. And I was wondering, 
how do you define it? It's it's a little bit more than than just that, um, because just being placed in fear does not mean that you're being stalked. Um, so, uh, a person who willfully, maliciously, and repeatedly follows or harasses another person would be the place to start with that. Then the person that is is doing harassing has to make a credible threat. In other words, you just can't say, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to get you. A credible threat would mean that if somebody says, I'm going to kill you, they have the immediate ability to carry that out. They have a gun pointed at you. They have a knife in your hand. That's a credible threat. Um, or even long distance, I'm going to kill you and the person does have the ability to get guns or bombs or whatever the situation may be, but it has to be a credible threat. And then the person who does this, the suspect, has to do it with a specific intent to place the person in reasonable fear. So it's not just the fact that the victim of this is in reasonable fear. The suspect has to have the intent to place them in that kind of fear. So it's a specific intent crime as opposed to a general intent crime. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. When we hear numbers like 7.5 million, it's really hard to kind of conceptualize what that means. It just sounds big. So how common would you say stalking is compared to other crimes? Well, um, stalking is so common that the Los Angeles Police Department had to respond to this crime by forming a unit that's strictly for stalking. So we have a threat management unit. Um, obviously, we live in the area that's covered by Hollywood, and there's lots of celebrities here. And people have a tendency to think of stalking as well as just celebrities, just people in the public eye. And yes, that's a big part of it. But more so, the average person, the person who has no connections to the entertainment industry or any industry, uh, is the victim of stalking. So the, the average person is no different in, in the way that we respond to these cases. Okay, interesting. I'd read that in one study, 44% of the victims were male, which was a bit surprising. I mean, I guess I, I figured it affected all kinds of sorts of people. It's the fatal attraction situ situation. Okay. So yes, a lot of males do get involved in this because the female suspects are have the same mental intent as the male stalking suspects do. You know, we can't be sexist when it comes to that type of situation. Sure. Yes, females can stalk males as well as, as males can stalk females. You may also have same-sex stalking, mm -hmm. be sure. depending on your lifestyle or whatever the situation may be, whatever uh, vibe that you've given off to this person that has made them focus on you. Now, I don't say that to mean that you're the cause of the stalking because we're not going to blame the victim in any way, shape, or form. It's what they perceive that you have done that is makes some focus on you. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense, yes. And I wonder, too, if when it's a female stalker, is it are they taken as seriously uh, if they perhaps – because I think there is a bit of a stereotype that it's more – you know, that it's more going to – often going to be a male. So if a female is stalking you and you tell somebody this this woman is stalking me, is it do people take it as seriously? Well, we, we have to look at it from a cultural point of view, right? So um, 
a, a man who is being stalked by a female, first of all, they're not as likely to report it because it makes them look weak and men don't like to do that. Also, a credible threat from a female suspect is going to be different than a credible threat made by a male suspect simply because of size, gender, whatever that may be. Now, people will argue this. It really is the way it is. In fact, it's, it's what makes homicide in many ways um, the word manslaughter. If you break it down, it's man's laughter. And what the victim's advocacy groups point out by that is that in an argument, if a husband goes off and just starts punching his wife and kills her because of his strength for, for that, um, that could be perceived as manslaughter because there was no specific intent to actually murder her. She's, he's killed this person, but he gets off on manslaughter charges. A wife in that situation whose emotions are at the same level, she goes into the kitchen and picks up a carving knife and comes back and stabs her husband. First degree murder because there was the intent to pick up that knife and go back and do it. She could not have done, beat him physically. To, so are you, are you understanding yeah, what I'm getting at? So, totally. So, That's so interesting. So there, there are some societal quirks that way. Um, that play into all of this, the way that we look at it. Um, and it's the same thing with what we call uh, unlawful sex, what's usually referred to as a statutory rape, right? So a, a, a 16-year-old girl who is uh, taken advantage of consensually by a 30-year-old teacher, people are aghast, right? She's only 16. A 16-year-old boy who is taken advantage of by a 30-year-old female teacher, everybody goes, hey, good on you. Well done. Uh, yeah. So again, it comes down to societal a double, standard. Uh, double standard. Now, that 16-year-old boy can be emotionally damaged to the exact same extent that Absolutely, that 16-year-old yeah. girl can be, depending on his mental makeup, all the other things that are going on. So sure. really, there's no difference as far as I'm concerned. Sure. And perhaps, again, that societal pressure to feel that you need to be strong. So they might even have everyone who's uh, abused in that way tends to feel shame, but you could feel shame for feeling emasculated or right. all these kinds of things. That's really interesting. Uh, so what are some of the really early signs of stalking? Because obviously it's something that escalates typically. Yes. I mean, I think stalking, um, it can start from absolutely nothing. You're at work and somebody you've had a conversation with in the coffee room all of a sudden decides that you have come on to him, that you're making advances towards him. And the only thing you've said is, hi, how's your day going? The stalker in his mind takes that as an invitation. So it can be nothing more than that. And so all of a sudden he starts hanging around. You get this creepy feeling from him. You ask him to, to leave you alone, to stay away, and his presence continues to make it you feel uncomfortable. So it starts out as all, you know, a, a harassment situation, right? Mm -hmm. I get calls all the time. Okay, he's creeping me out and, and I'm being stalked. At that point, you're not being stalked. You're being bothered in the workplace by a creep. And that's really something that needs to be addressed by your management or whatever the situation is. That's not stalking because he hasn't made this credible threat toward you. Now, that can go away with the boss saying to this guy, hey, if you talk to her again, you're fired. And, that, and it ends. That's not a stalking case. 
Right. If the boss says to the guy, you need to stay away from her. And the next thing the victim is, he's staying away from her at work, but now he's found out where she lives and she sees him outside her house. And then she sees him at her local Starbucks where she goes all the time. And then there's hang up phone calls and maybe strange letters that are left on her car. Um, now we're beginning to escalate to ward a stalking case. We still don't have a stalking case yet mm. because at this point, there's no credible threat. Okay, a guy's putting notes on your car. How can that be conceived of as a threat to harm you that we could actually prove to a jury of 12 people? Wow. So uh, my always my advice to uh, somebody in this position is that if you feel that this is ongoing and is going to escalate, the best thing that you can do for me as a detective is start your own timeline. Mm. Start writing down this now so that you don't forget it later. Every incident that occurs. And then really, uh, the police department is not going to take you seriously until you have gone and got a restraining order, a civil restraining order against this person to stay away from you and had it served on them. Now, civil restraining orders, they're really not worth the paper they're written on. They don't do a whole lot, but it has to be one of the steps that a, a potential victim would need to take to prove that they have done everything that they can to stop this situation and it is still continuing. So even if you come to me with a log, a timeline of all of these things that have happened and you haven't got a restraining order yet, I'm going to tell you, you need to go get a restraining order and have it filed on this guy before we talk, take a stalking report. That is so interesting because I, I read, I think in The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker, mm -hmm. I believe it was in that book about that restraining orders sometimes feed into the person who is obsessive because it's attention in a way? Yes, it is. They feel that now you're paying attention to them. They're also getting pleasure by the fact that they've upset you enough to make you go get a restraining order. Be that as it may, as an investigator, I still actually need that restraining order. Okay. Not because I don't believe that you're being stalked, but I have to take this case to a district attorney. Uh -huh. And that district attorney has to believe that you're being stalked. Okay. In order to file the case, I can't just say yes, you're being stalked. We're going to, I'm going to arrest him, or we're going to court. We have to follow the rest of the procedures. Sure, through. interesting. So this time log is that enough as far as uh, paired with the restraining order, or do you actually should you actually be like you know saving voicemails and taking pictures of notes and keeping all that the stuff? The more texts that you can keep for me, the more dick photos that he sends you, whatever yeah. the situation is. I mean, that's yeah. a horrible term, but you know what I'm talking I about do. here. Yeah, totally. um, all of those types of things, when you're upset, you want to delete those. Yeah. Get them off. Get them away from me because it, you are deleting evidence for me to be mm -hmm. able to use to get this guy. Yes. Right? So... I am going to be, I'm going to need to look at those texts. I'm going to look, need to look at the emails that he sends you. I'm going to need to look at the photos that he sends you. The problem is when you send text messages and photos back. So if you respond to a photo of a penis by sending your naked breast back to him, it's almost going to negate the whole situation. 
What if you write back and say, leave me alone? Is that bad? No. I mean, you can do that. Um, and that's what I would advise. I, I am informing you that I need you to leave me alone. If you continue to harass me, I will report you. Okay. Now, there will be those that argue that that's going to escalate things. Well, if the individual that's going to escalate because of your response that way is going to escalate whether or not you respond. Mm. So the percentage that will back off because you have responded from a position of power, you are not going to be a victim, sure. right? You're, you're not really losing anything because if you do respond from that position of power, A, you're not letting yourself be a victim, which I think is so important. And, and B, that guy's going to continue anyway. And it's possible... I suppose in some cases they actually leave you alone after yeah. you say leave you, me alone. You can, you know, uh, there are certain pathologies, and yeah. and pathologies like every anything else are on a bell scale, and so you have the outliers who will never leave you alone, and you have on the other side the people, the guys that will go, yeah, okay, woo, want me around, great, no problem. Yeah, right? yeah. So um, I of course you know would start by looking at the suspect. Okay, what is his criminal history. Have there been other reports of stalking? Has he fixated on other victims? Where is this going? Um, but we also deal with situations with celebrities who are stalked by fans. And that can be not necessarily an adult fan. That can be a 13-year-old fan who's managed to hack into the celebrity's email, who's happened able to hack into other portions of the celebrity's life. And they gather all this information in before they start making their presence known and trying to get – I have one case with, with a 13-year-old girl who was harassing a, a very famous celebrity. She was going from, from payphone to payphone. You can tells you how long ago this was. Um, payphone to payphone. You, you couldn't trace the calls back to her. Wow. Until we finally triangulated an area where she was calling from and were able to know that a call was coming and stake out several locations and actually caught her in the act. Have her in the back of the car, arrested for stalking. And her question to me is, "Is he going? am I going to get to see him at the station? Meaning the celebrity. Is he going to be there? Okay. Um, this is... A major issue. And and how do we deal with this? How do you deal with people that are mentally fixated? That really is beyond the scope of law enforcement. We apply the law. We, you know, allow, you know, a judge and jury to decide whether this person goes into counseling or we in law enforcement can't force that to happen. Sure. But we can certainly make the victim aware that, you know what, this person is not going to go away. So yeah. you need to take whatever steps it is that you need to do to protect yourself from this. Now, wow. how much do you have to protect yourself from a 13-year-old girl? It depends. Can a 13-year-old girl wield a gun and a knife if she gets angry enough? Yeah. You know, so um, there's there's no set answer. There's no – sometimes there's no good answer. And you just have to do the best within the world that we live in. Yeah. We live in the big city, folks. Right. If you don't want this to happen, then go out to the wilds of Wyoming. And you know what? You're going to find somebody who's willing to stalk you in the wilds of Wyoming as well. The pathology is out there. The likelihood may be less, sure. but it can still happen. Sure. Sure. So interesting. I read also that a large portion of people who stalk, it's a former lover, former partner. Mm. 
And actually, how this uh, came up, why I wanted to speak with you is because I did this two-part series on dating a sociopath, and I heard from many people who had dated somebody who seemed to be a sociopathic personality, and either they were stalked or they, you know, were afraid they were going to be stalked. So I wonder if you are in a relationship with somebody who's been abusive or obsessive or you think might be on that spectrum, what are some of the ways? Because even if you, you know, end it, how do you prevent it? What I'd what I'd like to do is to because this is a major problem, right? And people say, well, he's a sociopath. He, this individual, and and most of the time it's men. So rather than try to be gender neutral here, I'm going to refer to it as a male suspect. Um, he may or may not be a sociopath. In general, they are high functioning narcissists, and we think we have one of them who's in third public figure at the moment. Yes, um, and. Uh, the fact that you have left them, um, they they have – most narcissists uh, are trying to control your life. So while you are with them, they are trying to control every aspect of your life. Where are you? You've just got off from work. You're 15 minutes late home. I love you. I need you here. And there's this control, control, control issue. And then when you break away from the narcissist, which is really, really hard to do, you break away from this narcissist – personality, now they want revenge, right? Because there, they couldn't possibly, how dare you break up with them? They're who they are. So what they do is, is they employ what's termed flying monkeys. And these are all of the personal contacts that you've had together. That narcissistic person goes to all of them and tells his side of the story that you're a wacko bitch who does all of these horrible things, now all of the friends in your life are suddenly turning against you because maybe some of the wacko traits that you have are now played up to the point where they're they're taking them more seriously than they're just your, your personality, if you understand what I'm I saying. I do, right? so, yeah. This so rings these familiar, become, actually. So, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Been there, done that, right? A little bit, so, yeah. So, but this is also, these narcissistic personalities can also be parental figures are controlling their children. And when their children try to break away, oh my, now we're going to, you know, you're a horrible child, you're the worst thing that ever happened, you were a mistake, I wish you'd never been born, all of those types. Of, so stalking goes beyond dating. Narcissism goes beyond dating. A narcissist who you're married to and you divorce, he will do everything in his power to punish you through the course of that divorce. If you want the children he, and he doesn't, he's still going to fight tooth and nail for those kids to make it hard for you. Because you want them. Yeah. So these are really, really difficult situations to deal with. Are they all stalking? Are they all crimes? Morally, you can make an argument. Legally, no. That's tough. Wow. Wow. So what are some of the ways – I know, as you said, you could meet someone in a coffee shop and it's – you know, it just starts to happen. But I also feel like there's so many ways that uh, we can get a little too open with all the details of our lives and, you know, there's cyber stalking. What can we do to protect ourselves? Again, it's never the victim's fault, but at the same time, how can – what are some reasonable steps we can take to, to not become victimized? We're not going to stay off of social media. Right. I mean, telling people to stay off of social media is ridiculous. Like, don't eat. Ask, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Asking people to think about what they put on social media would be a better way to approach that, right? Let's use some common sense about what we put on social media. 
don't tweet or Facebook from the concert that you're at until you get home. Because if you do it while you're at the venue, what does that tell everybody who receives that? Oh, they're not home. What does it tell the stalker? Oh, they're not home. And gives them the opportunity to maybe break in or do whatever the, the situation may or be. Or go to your location. Go to your location. So again, you you need to use common sense, not once you're being stalked, but before, before. you're being stalked. Yeah. Um, when you see somebody walking down the street, can you make a uh, judgment as to whether they're a strong person or a weak person simply by the way they're presenting themselves in their walk and the way they're dressed and the way they're alert? Sure you can. People walking down the street with what I call having their head in their apps on their phone. <laughs> um, yeah, good one. Uh, yep. They are victims waiting to happen. Yeah. No matter how strong a personality they may be, their lack of alertness makes them a potential victim. Yeah. So again, in the workplace, in relationships, at a bar where you're meeting people, don't present yourself as a victim. Be confident, be assured. And this is hard to do because not everybody has those kind of personalities. But at least take a second to think about it. Think about how you presented yourself the last time you met a guy at a bar that you didn't know. Did I come off as we willing, where did, you know, so it takes a certain amount of introspection and that's the beginning. That's the start. Sure. And awareness. I like what you said about, you know, not being staring down at your phone. I remember when I was living in Florida and I'd heard about some uh, rape or stalking case and I heard a report that said that you know, the person had been up early in the morning. It was dark out wearing their headphones. And I was like, every morning I was going jogging in my headphones. And I was like, I was jogging in another oh, world. Yeah. And I gave up headphones because <laughs> I wasn't aware. You're completely aware of what's going on around you. You yeah. can't hear anything. You can't hear anybody coming up behind you. You don't know who's watching you. If you've seen the same guy before, um, women who uh, pull into a parking lot and they sit there either putting on their makeup or more often these days, looking at their phone and responding, they're out there for 10 minutes in a highly vulnerable situation. I don't care if you've locked the car. Those windows are very vulnerable. You're waiting to, you know, everybody else is leaving the parking lot and now you're alone, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so even in stalking situations, uh, if you are being stalked, when you leave work, leave work with people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If if um, if you're if there's somebody at home and you feel that you're being followed, call ahead, get them to uh, come out and meet you at the door. What your your roommate, your you know, uh, your living uh, uh, paramour, whatever the situation may be. And if you feel you're being followed and there's nobody there for you, don't go home. Mm. Drive to the police station. I love that. Yeah, my dad has always told me that if something feels wrong, why not drive, drive to the police, to the station, police station? Know where they are, and that yeah. has always stayed with me. Like know where your local station. I is. I got to tell you, if you drive to a police station and you come into the front desk and I'm up there and you say to me, you know what, I'm really sorry, but I think somebody's been following me for all of this distance. I don't feel comfortable going home. I am more than happy, if it's at all possible, to have somebody just follow you home when, mm. you know, just because we want to keep our citizens safe. Now, yeah. in this world where everybody's busy all the time, you know, the police departments, I mean, the call level is very heavy. And oftentimes that call level is heavy with things that aren't necessarily crimes. Everybody thinks that they're a victim these days. Sure, sure. And, and so 
what does that do? That that hurts the real victims who do need help. Yeah, yeah. I imagine your gut instinct is very important in these in these situations. And I think it can be easy to talk ourselves out of, oh, it's not a big deal. Always trust your instincts. Yes. That's what they're given to you for. Totally. Totally. Uh, I actually asked a few people to share some questions they had. And, and one person asked, you know, how do you get past that feeling of, oh, I'm just imagining it when you're because usually your gut is saying something. Yeah, your gut is churning. Yeah. And, and your, your, your anxiety level is rising. Why am I feeling this anxiety? I'm feeling, what is this guy doing that's making my anxiety level raise up, right? The body hates anxiety. The body will do anything to get rid of anxiety. So if the mind can convince you that this is no big deal in order to lower the anxiety, that's what the mind's going to do. This is a big deal. If you're feeling that anxiety, you need to talk to somebody about it, even if it's a counselor, a friend, human resources, whatever the situation is, because you may not have reached the level of law enforcement yet. Sure. When you feel that, you need to deal with it in the appropriate manner. The inappropriate manner is to ignore it because now you've taken the first step towards victimhood again. Yes. Right? Yes. You don't want to be a victim. You don't want to be a survivor, which is better than being a victim, but you want to be a victor, and a victor is somebody who's not a victim in the first place. Yeah. I love that. Whenever I talk about these kinds of topics, a lot of people share their kind of self-defense techniques. And I know there are some really common ones we hear about. And I wondered if you had any opinion on one that's common for women is they'll carry in uh, their key like a knife. And I took a self-defense class and I remember there, there were kind of mixed views on whether that could actually help or not. What, what do you think? Well, um, a woman who carries her keys within her hands. Most women's hands are fairly small. And in general, unless they're really working out all the time, not very strong. So to grip those keys and use them to rake across somebody's face with, which is a good thing, could be a difficult thing to do. But here's the thing with self-defense. It's a perishable skill. Unless you're doing it and practicing it all the time, you're not going to be prepared for when it happens, right? And self-defense is all about not putting yourself in a in a vulnerable position to begin with. That's the best self-defense. Sure. Now, if you have to do if you have no choice but to be in that vulnerable position, then you have to start thinking ahead of time, what am I going to do if this happens, right? One of the things that is very difficult long-term for law enforcement officers is you, personally, you live your life on probabilities. You didn't bring an umbrella to work today because it's probably not going to rain, um, all, everything in your life decision-wise is based on probabilities. For law enforcement, we're all based on possibilities. I can't say I'm not going to wear my bulletproof vest today because I'm probably not going to be shot. Or I don't need to take my gun with me today because I'm probably not going to be in a shooting. We have to live life on the possibilities, right? In our society, in our culture, you have to think about possibilities during certain periods, right? So if you know that you're, you have to recognize, first of all, that you're going to be in a vulnerable position, and then you have to think about the possibilities of that. I mean, you can put your keys in your fist sticking out a hundred times and nothing happens, right? Right. But the one time you forget to put them in your hands, that's the time sure. that something happens, right? So you really got to Think about this all the time. Make it a habit. Yeah. Make it a habit. The class I took was called Impact. And it was the ones where they have the person dressed in, you know, 
basically like pillow armor mm-hmm. <laughs> that you can punch them and and they teach you different techniques and they talked about exactly what you said as far as you have to make it muscle memory like it has to be something that cuz cuz when you're in that terror feeling right. you're if not going to If you've never punched somebody or ever been punched it, it's 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 overwhelming you have no yeah. clue as to to how to respond in those situations boxers um they talk about the flinch and what this means is when you punch somebody their instinct is to immediately flinch because they've been punched right so there's that split second of immobility and that's what a boxer takes advantage of in another boxer boxers train not to flinch when they get hit they have to respond when they get hit and not react by flinching. Yeah. You respond to being hit by hitting back or by getting your defenses up. It's a very interesting concept for me when I first heard about that. Wow, when you get punched, you flinch. Yeah, I flinch when I get punched. Oh, this is something I need to think about. And not only in me doing it, I need to have a recognition that this is going to happen to the person I'm doing it to. So you have to have recognition. If you rake your keys across somebody's face, I can guarantee you they're going to flinch. But that's half a second or a second of flinch time is what you have to get away. Mm. Right? You can't yeah. just rake them across the face with your keys and, and sit there. back and go, okay, because that's not going to be enough. You have to have a plan. And the best plan is to run. Yeah, I've right? heard don't. Let anyone take you to a second location. Right. I love that Nike commercial where the the female's in the cabin at the woods and she hears a guy breaking in the front door with the chainsaw and the leather mask on. And she puts on her running shoes and she is out the back door and she is through the forest, right? And this guy's standing there going, oh, well, where's my victim, right? So I think you need to start thinking about your responses. If you are not aware, chances are you possibly are going to be a victim. Yeah. And- it, does the police get involved with cyberstalking? Oh, all the time. We have another unit strictly for cyberstalking, wow. cyberbullying, cyberstalking. All of this stuff goes on. I mean, a lot of it is um, uh, juvenile related, um, but it, but equally, there's uh, um, another half of that that is adult related, and, and it's it's a different kind of cyber stalking, but it's still there. You know, it's where somebody's tracking you cyberly. Where are you going? What are you doing? And following you and and, and then inter- interjecting in your life in order to cause you fear by their presence online, their sure. electronic presence. Sure. That's so interesting. Uh, another friend of mine wanted to know what are your rights? I imagine this varies maybe by state, but as somebody, if you are victimized or you are surviving this, uh, how do you find out what your rights are you know, what the legal steps are? Well, I'm not sure that the term rights is appropriate there. I think what the person is asking is what steps can I take, right? Because when 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 people talk about their rights, I know my rights. Well, they really don't know their rights, you know. Uh, okay, name me a civil right, uh, 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 right? Those are our rights, Right. And civil rights are those things that are inalienable to us through our constitution and and that type of thing. One of the things I have to be very concerned about in interrogation is there's a Fifth Amendment right not to be intimidated. So when I'm interrogating somebody, I cannot intimidate them. Right. One of the rules is as an interrogator, you never do something that will cause an innocent person to admit to something they didn't do. 
Well, guess what? Intimidation makes people admit to things that they don't do. Yeah. Right. So rights are one thing. Um, and we talk about them a lot because everybody, you know, uh, hears about them on television. But in reality, what the I think your friend is asking is, what steps can I take? Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, there are two ways to do that. Um, you can call your local police department, go into your local police department, ask them. Um, the other thing is to go to victim counseling centers, right? There are many of these available to you if you can track them down and ask them what it is that you can do to prevent this from happening or what it is that you need to do to get police action taken in this case. So that when you do go to the police department and you are now uh, a victim of a crime, it doesn't mean your rights have been violated, you're a victim of a crime. Now, because of the way that you presented this, we take you seriously and we can move forward from that location. That said, it depends on who you get at the police station. What kind of day are they having? I mean, we would love to think that all of our law enforcement officers are fine, upstanding paragons of the law. And the ones I deal with, for the most part, are. Right? We really want to do our job. But everybody's different. Everybody's at a certain level. It has of, bad days. Has bad days, certain yeah. levels of burnout. So if you don't get an answer that you like the first time, doesn't mean you can't go ask somebody else. I'm not saying if mommy says no, go ask daddy. But if you're not satisfied with the response that you've gotten, um, you may ask to talk to a supervisor. Right? Or you may come back on another day and talk to somebody else who may have better advice for you, may have more time to listen to what is essentially to them a minor problem. One of the, one of the hardest things for my detectives to do is they're investigating serial rapists, sexual homicides. These are major, major cases, right? Now we have a mother and her eight-year-old daughter who turned up at the front desk. They've been the victim of an indecent exposure. Oh, it's just a weenie waiver. Okay. We cannot respond in that fashion to this mother and their daughter because to them, this is as important as the serial rape and the, to those victims. We have to have an awareness of that as detectives. And sometimes, quite frankly, that's hard to do. Sure. No, that makes absolute sense. It really does. It's so interesting. Uh, I have a question here from a listener for our resident uh, expert, Dr. Megan Fleming. And then after we come back, I would love to hear a bit about your novels. I'm really fascinated about Great. your writing as well. So this wonderful question is on a related topic. Jake wrote this, my girlfriend was stalked by an abusive ex before we met. As a result, she has some understandable trust issues which affect our sex life. When I try to get things rolling in bed, she often flinches and starts trembling. Surprising her outside of sex, such as sending flowers, has also made her uncomfortable. I feel terrible when these things happen and also want to have more intimacy. I'm kind of a romantic and love being with her. How can I be supportive or do you have any tips? She has had therapy, though not in a while. Thank you so much for this question, Jake, and for wanting to be so supportive. I think that is awesome. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming had to say. Jake, I really so appreciate this question because, wow, you're really such an attentive and intuitive partner that you recognize. And I think this is so, so important that Often, you know, some people can just be very rational and practical and think that, you know, how is it you don't understand that that was them and not me. Um, but, you know, when there's been a history of trauma or abuse, it's in a sense, in, 
your girlfriend's nervous system. And so what you've noticed and you've seen is that, you know, she's, she's always not so responsive in, even when it's like a potential nice thing, like a positive surprise, she's not necessarily so comfortable. doesn't know how to receive it. And so I think it's incredibly important to clarify for you both that it takes time to relearn. And that's what it is. It's like letting go of a habit, but it's not a habit. It's, it's a conditioned response, but it's one that her nervous system is sort of anticipating and in a sense preparing to experience. But guess what? You're not the old boyfriend or the ex. You're, you're somebody new and she has to have enough consistency in that experience. Um, in a slowed down and paced way for her body to know and also receive an experience and let go of the past anticipation. Um, so, you know, one of the things I would say how you can be supportive is exactly that. First of all, you don't judge or jump to the conclusion that when and if worst case scenario, she pulls back potentially from your reach or response that maybe it's not about you, right? It may be that old historical message in her body and that you, you know, together really lean in and toward each other to say, what are those just right? Think like Goldilocks, you know, not too hot, not too cold, but what's the just right pacing of experience that, she may feel a little tension or apprehension or her body might pull away, but it doesn't feel too much that she can then, you do it together. She feels and sees and experiences you and then she relaxes and her body relaxes. That's where step by step you are teaching her and her body to basically welcome and invite this new experience and learn that that old pattern of having to protect and defend is no longer needed. It is a slow process, but I can tell you it is one that is so well worth it. And the more that you talk and, um, you know, work it through together and when, if you need help, like there's definitely qualified, uh, sex therapists and qualified, psychotherapist that can help you in that process. But I, I think the most important part is you feel like you're both on this journey together and you're not only explicitly telling her, Hey, how do I help you feel safe, warm, connected, pleasure, consistent, all those wonderful feelings you want to invite. But also when, if it, that's not despite my intention coming up, help me find language for that too. And language for you and what's happening, because that to me is the first place to start where you can extinguish it and rebuild a new connection. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she had to say about really making it a journey that you're on together, which, Jake, it sounds like that's exactly what you're aiming for by caring about this. So thank you and that it takes time uh, that you can work on this together. And I imagine you'll come out, both of you, stronger. And I just wish you all the best. To learn more from Dr. Megan, visit greatlifegreatsex.com. Paul, in addition to your wonderful career in law enforcement, you also are a now prolific writer. <laughs> so tell us, is that something that you'd always planned? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a very lucky person. 
person. I've, I've got to do the two things in life I enjoy most, putting villains in jail and, and putting words on paper and telling stories. So um, from that point of view, I've been very, very lucky. Um, the two careers have, have really been in conjunction. I started uh, um, publishing professionally about five years after I started on the police department, and it's just kind of gone from there. Um, and Yes, I, I, I've written westerns, I've written sports novels, I've written all kinds of things, but most of my output has been mystery novels. And with the Faye Croker series, which is five books, and they are actually uh, all being reprinted as we speak, the first two of the five are, are out and available. Um, Faye was, I, I was looking for a, a anti-television female detective. I wanted to create a female detective that was like the female detectives that I worked with. Jane has a very special gift that um, I found out about mm, easily 10 years ago. And I had no idea what I was going to do with it. And I took it and I put it in my writer's treasure chest. And when Jane Randall came to life in my mind, I knew that she had this gift. And uh, I'm not going to give any more of it away than that because it's kind Ooh, of uh, – uh, but was, she doesn't know she has it. In suspense. Ray does. Okay. And so he is able to help her understand this, understand why things in her life personally are just a tragedy and how that this gift can – help them together because he needs her to save him. So if I've set it up that Ray needs her to save him, at some point in the book, she's got to save him, which she does. And also to make her equal, when a great athlete uh, is on a team and his team's behind and time is running out, that great athlete wants the ball. So for the final interrogation in the book, Jane wants the ball. That's her interrogation and she has every right to it. And so she steps up to the plate and says, hey, this is mine. And Ray has to let her have it and willingly lets her have it. Sure. So for me, that that now makes this a partnership, a true partnership. Mm. And um, response to the book's been very good. It's uh, had three nominations for different uh, Best Novel Awards, uh, won one of them. So it's been gratifying from, from that perspective because everybody goes, I've never read anything like this. I've never known characters like this. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. Congratulations. I'm really curious. And I, I was... Uh... St waiting in suspense to find out about this gift. So I'm going to have to read your books. I love mysteries and thrillers so much. So, And tell us where we can, again, learn more about you, buy your books. Sure. Um, um, uh, at www.paulbishopbooks.com is my website, so everything is there. Just go to Amazon, type in Paul Bishop, go to my page on Amazon, everything's there. And if you do uh, read Lycatchers, uh, understand that everything that Ray Pagan does in that book, for good or bad, is stuff that I've done because I really wanted to incorporate a lot of this stuff in there. And uh, I think you really enjoy it. Um, if you do, please leave a review on Amazon. It really helps They're authors. They're so important, guys. Yeah. If you don't like it, don't leave a review on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If you love it, review us. Okay. Yes, exactly. Thank you so much for joining me today. I just so appreciate your time and expertise. Uh, I appreciate being here, and I appreciate being able to discuss this subject because I feel it's very, very important to have a fully uh, a better understanding of it. Sure. Absolutely. I agree. Thank you. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes. And hey, you can leave a review there as well. For extras and a whole lot more, visit augustmclaughlin.com or girlboner.org where you can sign up for occasional email updates. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner and Bracing Week. <laughs>